It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning. Ashley Frasca here joining you. Green and growing right here on 95.5 WSB. My Saturday mornings are really made so much better by being with you and hearing from you. So we'll get back to calls 404 872 But they are also made better when I am able to bring on experts in their fields to share really good information and really good knowledge with you. Most of the time, better than I can do myself. That's why I lean on them so much. And you've heard her on the show before, Becky Griffin with the University of Georgia Community and School Garden Coordinator and a certified beekeeper and pollinator health program associate. Hey, Becky, I'm glad to have you back. Good morning, Ashley. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you this morning? Really good. And I've been looking forward to our conversation for sure. We talked back in April, which was perfect because of, you know, things blooming and spring going into summer. And now having you back uh, to recognize National Pollinator Week, June 21st through the 25th. That's kind of a big deal. Talk to us a little bit about who puts that on and why it's an organized effort. Well, it's actually a national effort, so it's not just Georgians who will be celebrating and recognizing pollinators, but people all over the United States will be as well. Um, The Pollinator Partnership, I think, is the big coordinator. Um, People can find out about that by going to pollinator.org. So there are the big national drive behind this, but um, everybody who loves pollinators has really taken it on as a, a week to concentrate on what these insects do for us and how to help them and learn more about them. And you yourself, too, you, you do such a good job keeping up the Facebook page that's Georgia Pollinator Census, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that census is and when that is, but you do such a good job of making these insects really come alive with some personality. They're not just, ooh, gross, bugs. Like, they're actually super cute if you really get to looking at them and so beneficial and, most importantly, totally necessary for our way of life. Uh, correct. And I'm glad that you think they're so cute. And that's my big goal. I once told a teacher, my big goal is to have a kid go from, ooh, it's a bug, to <laughs> look at the tarsal claw on that bee. Yeah. So and, I'm glad that you are on board, Ashley. Well, and you know, when you've got something flying around you, you're out working in the yard, you're sitting on the back deck, I think your first, in, your instinct is, you know, you're startled. So you go to swat at it or want to kill it or whatever. But really, you've got to be so conscientious and careful about what you may be, you know, doing harm to. But I've noticed kind of a trend on your Facebook page, Becky, in, in really helping folks identify. And this seems so basic, but maybe it's really not. People seeming to get mixed up bees and how to identify them and what they are looking like versus flies. So the importance of knowing the difference, because when we're thinking about counts and the census and things like that, you've got to make sure you're giving an accurate count and proper identification is key in that, right? Right. And um, when we came up with the criteria for counting in the pollinator census, we wanted to make it um, accessible to all Georgians. You do not have to be an entomologist to learn the simple differences between bees and flies or carpenter bees and bumblebees. And we give all the information that you would ever need to learn how to do that to empower you to learn a little bit more entomology, but not make it too difficult so everyone can participate in the census. 
Yeah, we definitely want to promote that, and we we will do that right here on Green and Going. The Georgia Pollinator Census is set for two days in August, August 20th and 21st, and that's a project you take on. How many years have you been doing that, Becky? Uh, This will be our third statewide event, and we did two years of a pilot project to kind of fine-tune things before that. So I love that, kind of a build-up this summer you know, with the things that you're doing on on Facebook and just the information you're getting out to properly arm people and educate them so that when they do the census, they know what they're looking at. Um, bee identification. Now, whether we do, like you said, we have a wasp or a hornet or a yellow jacket or thank goodness for honeybees and bumblebees and things like that, are all bees pollinators? Well, that's a very good question. And my answer is a little more broad than that. Anything that moves pollen from one flower to another is a pollinator. So you and I are pollinators sometimes when we work in the garden. We concentrate on insect pollinators because a lot of them are are anatomically built to be great pollinators. So wasps are pollinators, even though they don't have pollen gathering apparatus on their body, they are hanging out in the pollinator garden looking for food for their young and they're moving from flower to flower. So they're pollinators. And I guess butterflies would be too, right? Yes. And actually, it's very interesting. Um, they, we think of fireflies as the beauty that we get at night when we take care of our landscape and turn our lights off. But they can be, um, some firefly species feed on pollen or nectar, and they are in our pollinator gardens in the daytime moving around. So technically, yes, they're pollinators too. Fireflies, and I did a little uh, comment on the green and growing Facebook page. Most of us Southerners call them lightning bugs. So either way, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them, fireflies, lightning bugs. You know what I've noticed too, Becky, is some summers there seem to be more than others. Um, But Kirk Mellish and I were actually having a conversation and he lives in Marietta. I live in Woodstock and he was kind of disappointed. Like, I haven't seen near as many as what I'm used to. I wonder what's going on. And I myself have noticed that. But my bedtime is like 8.30. You know, I have to go to bed early because the hours that I work. So I'm going to bed right at about dusk. But two days last week, I was up until 9, which shocking. Oh, my gosh. I paid for it the next day. But I was driving in <laughs> like in my neighborhood home at 9 p.m. two days last week. And that's when I really seemed to see the most. So that made me smile. Maybe not so dreadful thinking that, you know, counts were down and I wasn't seeing as many. But Do you think that that's just maybe isolated for Kirk and I, or have you heard other people saying they're just not seeing as many this year? Well, I've I've heard both things, and I think they're. uh, I've heard that we're not seeing as many, and I've heard, oh my goodness, I've never seen so many. And I think there's reasons for both. Um, Fireflies in their their life cycle, they need to be laying their eggs. Um, and have moist area for their larvae. And we've been very, very dry Mm. um, up up until um, coming up tomorrow, I guess. Uh, So that may be a reason. Uh, Habitat loss, just like we talk about for pollinators. If someone moves in an area and they want to have perfect turf grass from here to there and plant um, just landscape shrubs that are close to the ground and no shrubs or trees or tall grasses, then they have eliminated the firefly habitat that they really want. But on the other side of the coin, we have been educating people for years on good pollinator habitat. And a lot of that good pollinator habitat and best management practices translates into good firefly habitat. 
So I get a lot of feedback from my pollinator gardeners saying, oh, my goodness, I've never seen so many fireflies. And I think that's why. I think unconsciously they have improved the habitat for fireflies in their area. So really multiple benefits of having a pollinator garden, not only to attract pollinators, but fireflies and other things. And not to mention, I mean, some of the plants that we can use, native plants, are just beautiful, colorful, you know, I mean, interest almost year round. What are some of your favorites if someone had no idea and they just wanted to do maybe a pollinator garden and start with two or three plants? What are some of the most common ones that they could just run to the nursery and pick up? Well, um, I'm a big fan of milkweed, yeah. um, especially tuberosa, the, the orange milkweed that we used to see as kids on the roadside. Um, so it is called butterfly weed because it was so easily found and nobody gave it two thoughts. But when we started spraying and mowing right around our roadsides, you don't see it as much anymore. So, And that's one of the pollinator plants of the year. Oh, cool. And so I really enjoy that one. It's um, We're seeing it more and more in our nurseries. I'm a big fan also of mountain mint. Um, it is a mint, so it does spread. Uh, it does grow very well in the mountains, but it grows other places in Georgia as well. It is a no-brainer for attracting um, all sorts of insects, and it's a very good height for fireflies as well. Um, I also love the downy goldenrod, which is another pollinator plant of the year. And people oftentimes think goldenrod, I'm going to sneeze, but that is not our plant that we are, um, you're, you're not having allergic reaction to downy goldenrod pollen because it's too sticky to fly around. But it is a great pollinator plant. False rosemary is great. If we're looking at shrubs, the sweet pepper bush, which again is a pollinator plant of the year, is a great shrub. There's a lot of it at the Chattahoochee Nature Center, if you've ever been there. Beautiful flowers, nice shrub, not a lot of care, attracts a lot of pollinators. But it doesn't, with the name Sweet Pepper, it doesn't actually grow little peppers or anything, right? <laughs> no, <there's, laughs> that uh, would be cool. It has a spicy fragrance. Oh. I think that's how it's got its name. Okay. So we can see those at the Chattahoochee Nature Center. Now, that's, oh, yeah. that's really neat that, like, is that a nationwide thing that some of these plants are awarded, you know, pollinator plant of the year or some of the most popular well, actually, it's a Georgia program started oh. by the State Botanical Garden of Georgia, and, and I, um, with other partners, I have, have um, collaborated with them, and every year we're picking four of the best pollinator plants and working with industry to help them learn how to propagate them, and actually there's a whole toolkit for landscapers and nurseries who want to promote these pollinator plants that are don't take a lot of effort, and they um, are great producers of beautiful flowers and a lot of resources for our insect population. And the ones we talked about just moments ago, they're mostly all perennials, aren't they? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, they're all perennials. Um, and uh, if you go to the website for the State Botanical Gardens and look at the pollinator plants of the year, one of our great landscape architects has even designed a garden using those particular plants. So it's a no-brainer for someone who wants to start a pollinator garden. Wow. See, and that's made easy, guys. You got to love perennials. I mean, not only for the benefits like that, but plant at one time 
and and you're done. Low maintenance. You get to expect to see it year after year. That's awesome. Well, Becky, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about fireflies. And if folks are already out, they're seeing the lightning bugs, they're noticing what you know what they see, and then they've got the kids outside as well. Let's put that to good use, and let's be productive with what you're seeing. We'll tell you ways to do that here in just a few minutes, checking on weather and traffic, and we'll be back. I'm glad you're listening to Green and Growing. Stay tuned to WSB. Back on Green and Growing with Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia. Becky, you're so involved in pollinators and community gardens and schools and things like that. And uh, we were talking about fireflies and how, yes, they can actually be considered pollinators. And something very important for this month and next month, uh, the Atlanta Firefly Project. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I'm very excited about this. We have a grad student from the Warnell School of Forestry, and her name is Kelly Riddenhauer, and this is her big project. And she actually lives in Metro Atlanta downtown, and she was uh, an, an entomology student who was wondering what really are the po- the firefly populations in Atlanta. I mean, some of us will say we see more, some less. What is the truth? What is the research? So she has developed a project for citizen scientists who live in the metro area to actually record um, populations of fireflies. And she has made it really simple. If you go to her website, atlantafireflyproject.org, she has a video that you can quickly look through to see what she's looking for. And while you're counting fireflies for her, you're actually learning about them. She talks about the different flashes, um, where they are in the in the landscape. Are they close to the ground? Are they a little higher up? And what you'll find is if you go outside and intentionally look at fireflies, you're going to see they have different flashes, different colors, different patterns. And I know, Ashley, that you are a go-to-bed very early, <laughs> but it, the first fireflies that we see are the um, common Big Dipper fireflies with that J swirl. And if you happen to be up at 1 in the morning, and maybe when you get up to yeah. go to work, you actually will see different species of fireflies because we have over 50 species of fireflies in Georgia. Wow. So there's a lot out there, and Kelly is just wanting to document what's going on in Atlanta. And we were camping with some friends and their two daughters last weekend. And, you know, I mean, the, the attraction is to catch them, put them in a jar, put them in a little Ziploc bag. Of course, it's so important to poke holes in all of those and not let them stay in it for too long, just enough for the kids to be entertained, and then please release them, let them go. But just knowing that that was that familiar firefly or lightning bug that I grew up with, with the two black wings and almost like a little red head, right? Right, right. They have that um, little protection on their head. And the interesting thing is if you ever decide to delve into fireflies, you can look historically Native peoples talked about fireflies in their writings. We have scientists from the 1700s talking about fireflies. So it is an honor to be able to to be part of watching them do their their life cycle. And then generations, hopefully beyond us, will also be excited and writing about fireflies. Now, is it true that only the males light up or no, it's male and female? Uh, it, it totally depends on the species. Okay. Um, in some some cases, they do. Some cases, the female is actually more like a worm. 
and doesn't fly. So uh, with 50 different species, you have a lot of different uh, differences there. Gosh, that's fascinating. And so AtlantaFireflyProject.org. So what we really kind of need, but if you if you slack off this month, it's okay. But maybe two days participating and keeping note for June, two days keeping note uh, for July is really going to get her the data that she needs. And then the data from the project helps understand the threat of habitat loss, maybe nighttime light pollution, that could be a factor, and land management practice uh, practices and how that may negatively impact our common eastern firefly, like Big Dipper, like like what you said, Becky. So, okay, well, I want to, I, I have so many questions for you, Becky. So if you don't mind, <laughs> <laughs> hang tight because National Pollinator Week coming up. And, you know, we don't need a dedicated week, right, to, to be mindful of pollinators and really educate ourselves. We can do that all year round and Becky telling you what to put in your garden and how to attract pollinators, whether it's uh, butterflies, fireflies, of course, all the different species and variety of bees as well. And you really need those too to have success in your vegetable gardens right now. As soon as you get those flowers on the squash plants and the tomato plants, nothing's going to happen if it's not for the pollen being transferred. So want to ask Becky and pick her brain maybe for some great ideas of how to celebrate National Pollinator Week and what you can be doing and how to get the kids involved. That's key with me at summertime. We need to keep educating them, but also keep them entertained as well. So stay tuned for that. Maybe grab a pen and paper, have that handy. We'll be back. Glad you're listening to Green and Growing. Stay tuned to 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Hey, just a little after 8.30, wrapping up the show. Another fun Saturday morning. Ashley Frasca with you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much. Stay tuned at 9 o'clock. The Home Fix-It show with Dave Baker comes up. So you know what to expect at this time of the show. And I'm always happy to have different personalities and different folks from our friends at Pike Nursery along with me and usually store managers. Now we have a member of the marketing team, Brittany Harper. She's been working with me for a number of years now. Brittany, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to actually be talking on your show for a change. Well, and you've done a lot of the research, and I so appreciate the Mm -hmm. great things that you offer the store managers and myself and getting ready to do this segment every week. And this one, you and I got together a few weeks back and kind of planned accordingly. Um, Last Saturday, I mentioned that this past week was going to be National Pollinator Week, and that's really, you know, kind of given that name by the Pollinator Partnership Um, And we talked about it last Saturday, the website pollinator.org, if any of you want to find out a little bit more about Pollinator Week as we wrap things up. And so we thought, Brittany, it would be appropriate to talk about plants for pollinators, right? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics. So I'm not as knowledgeable as other folks, but, you know, I've done my fair bit of research, so I'm happy to share what I know. And, you know, I mean, you get the benefits of flowers for their beauty, for their color, for their scent. 
but it's just an added bonus when they draw wildlife and insects that you want to attract. Granted, people are out there going, no, they draw deer sometimes or rabbits. That's not what I want. <laughs> but no, as far as pollinators are concerned, who doesn't love to see hummingbirds and butterflies and bees flying around their garden? That's really a promising sign for a gardener to see those things. You're doing something right. You know, you're attracting the beneficial insects that we want. Um, so, and, and Brittany, you were listening while you were on hold. I talked to Becky Griffin in the last half hour from the University of Georgia, and she does so much work putting together the Georgia Pollinator Census every year. That's coming up for two days in August. And uh, we, we got to talk a great bit about bees and also fireflies. Did you realize fireflies or lightning bugs, some were considered pollinators? I did not realize that. I did not. No, I knew, you know, things like moths and beetles and and birds and bats even, but I did not know about about that. Yeah, anything whatsoever, even ourselves, uh, anything that can transfer pollen is considered a pollinator. And so, oh my gosh, she also told us something like 50 varieties, 50 different uh, species of fireflies. I had no idea. I mean, I've never gotten that close to one to see the difference, but it is such a nice welcome sign of summer, you know, to see lightning bugs out and about, isn't it? That is, it really is. I love it. All right, so we've got this National Pollinator Week that we're wrapping up, an annual event to really just celebrate pollinators, spread the word about what we can do to protect them. Um, And so with your research and kind of what you have found out, Brittany, what do you know? What are pollinators? So pollinators really are just those animals, like we mentioned, that um, help pollinate plants. And by pollination, we mean they're moving pollen from flower to flower, plant to plant. And pollination is, you know, necessary for the fertilization of plants for successful seed development and fruit production for plants. So it's a really important process. Yeah, I mean, you think about, you know, you walk into the grocery store, you go over to the produce section to the right, oftentimes, you look at all of that produce. Can you imagine how much of that would be removed, taken away, if we ever had such a huge decline in the pollinator population? We couldn't grow a lot of those things. So Um, I mean, you've got some numbers from the U.S. Department of Agriculture about just how crucial the work that they do is. Yeah, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, I read on their website that it's about 35 percent of the world's food crop. So that's if you equate that, that's sort of like one out of every three bites of food that we take. Uh, is the direct result of animal pollinators. Unbelievable. So think about folks in your own gardens at home. You know, you've got this beautiful lush tomato plant that's leafing out, that's full, that's bushy, that's beautiful, or those cucumber and squash vines that look great. And they'll put on flowers when they're happy, but then if there's nothing to transfer the pollen to and from that flower, that is where the fruit of the vegetable is going to grow from. You're not going to have that. So, Brittany, how can we help pollinators? So really, we just want to attract them to our yards, give them a food source, a water source, shelter. So really, we can just create little habitats for them in our own yards and gardens. You know what I have found, too, and and you mentioned water sources, too, Brittany, which is kind of cool. Um, bird baths, you know, not only for birds, but you will see a butterfly resting there, maybe a caterpillar crawling along the rim of a bird bath. Um, a lot of folks in some of these garden groups that I'm on on Facebook you know, they'll they'll put out the water in the bird bath and it's just stagnant water. It may get dirty after a storm and people are like, not seeing any birds. You know, what can I do? So I read a lot of the comments and this was interesting to me, the different things people did. A, they want to change that water out maybe two to three times a week. Just dump it, fill it up with the, 
the garden hose or a watering can, you know, put fresh water in there. But people will put rocks or pebbles down at the bottom <laughs> and then maybe like twigs, a few twigs. That'll give the bird and even the butterflies and stuff a place to light without actually, you know, setting their feet in the water. But one of the biggest attractors, and I know you guys have this, was either like a solar fountain or a water you know, motion type thing that you battery operated little thing that you can set in the middle of the bird bath and it just kind of keeps the water moving and they love that. I've heard the same thing that they really like that, that moving water that, that, and I think that also helps too because stagnant water, we all know living in the South, that's where mosquitoes just yeah. breathe. So right. you don't want to be around that. The birds don't either. So if that water is moving, it's less likely to be a breeding place for mosquitoes. So it's more attractive and it's clean and fresh for the birds and the other pollinators. Absolutely. And, you know, we love a dip in the pool on a hot day. So the birds, <laughs> I think, like it just as much. You know, a water source is so important and important uh, important for the pollinators, too. And who knows if the pollinators are hanging out at the uh, bird bath? Who's to say that a bird might not be hungry? <laughs> you know, I don't know, but nevertheless, right. this little symbiotic relationship where they're hanging out. Okay, so you have done great research. Um, plants for pollinators. Kind of what what do the plants need to have? What kind of keys are we thinking about? It's um, kind of boils down to two main factors: flower shape and color. So specifically around color, certain pollinators are attracted to certain colors. For example, bees really like blues and purples and also white and yellow colors, whereas hummingbirds are, and we probably all know this, they're super attracted to red, uh, but also orange and purple will attract the hummingbirds. And then butterflies also like red, orange, yellow, pinks, purples, so lots of those real vibrant colors are going to be the ones that are more attracting uh, to those pollinators. And then flower shape. So um, obviously your, your hummingbirds, your butterflies, they like nectar. So you want those tubular shaped flowers like salvia, for example, because they're going to hold more nectar and those pollinators are going to recognize that. And then bees and butterflies, they are more partial to cluster blooms like lantana. You think it's a bunch of tiny little flowers on a flower head, and it basically provides a little landing pad. It's easier for them to land on and then feed out of those tiny little flowers in the clusters. So you think about those two things, color and flower shape. And then um, you also, of course, want to provide host plants. So you need to do some research about what um, host plants um, are for the different pollinators that you may specifically want to attract. So that's the place where those, those um, specifically butterflies like to lay their eggs. So we all know butterfly weed or milkweed, uh, which is Asclepius, those are really popular for monarch butterflies. But also um, dill and parsley are great um, host plants for like swallowtails. That is so neat. That's really neat to think about how you can make a conducive environment for a caterpillar kind of not thinking ahead that that's going to be a safe haven for what is soon to be a butterfly. That's great. Good, good info. I love that, Brittany. All right, now, so we go into Pike Nursery um, anytime, this weekend, next week, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Y'all always have popular pollinator-attracting summer flowers. So tell us kind of uh, what some of the popular ones are that we may want to look for if we're writing this down, guys, pen and paper handy. These are going to be the ones you want to include. Exactly. And if you walk into our stores anytime um, during the spring and summer, 
you'll see those critters flying around. We always have birds and butterflies and hummingbirds just flitting around in the greenhouse, and it's really a sight to see. And some of the more popular things that are in bloom right now that they really enjoy, I mentioned the Asclepius, um, and there are there are different types, Tuberosa and Incarnata, which are two uh, different types of Asclepius. The Incarnata, sometimes called swamp milkweed, I think, mm. um, is native to Georgia. So those, so that Asclepius is something you definitely want to add in. Um, Joe pieweed is another summer flower native to Georgia that's really attractive to pollinators. Um, bee balm, which is also known as Monarda. Um, gorgeous, really um, beautiful flowers on there. I think they're mostly red, maybe some pinks as well. And I don't think I've ever walked by bee balm and not seen a bee on it. Like, I mean, it is a super attractor. That's right. Right. Perfect name for it, exactly. And that lantana also that I mentioned previously for those bees and butterflies that like to land on. Um, Butterfly bush, as we all know, uh, verbena, um, especially the, I think they like the perennial types more so than the annual types, but um, you can certainly have both. And they come in a lot of those rich colors that they really like, that those reds, those rich purples. Um, echinacea, also the uh, known as the coneflower, is a really popular one. Um, Rudbeckia, a.k.a. Black-Eyed Susan. Mm-hmm. Um, salvia, as I mentioned, that tubular flower that the hummingbirds really love. That's one I especially see hummingbirds at a lot, the really vibrant red ones. And there's also another variety, I think it's called like black and blue, where the flower, the salvia flower is a really rich blue color. Oh, yeah. And the tall stems where all the flowers are connected are kind of a blackish color. Very, very interesting to look at. And the hummingbirds really like that. Fantastic. Pintas um, is another one. It's more of an annual, um, you know, little clusters of star-shaped flowers. Very cute. Yarrow. Um Coreopsis, um, which is also called tick seed. Um, and then also you want to think about flowers that are going to be blooming, um, not just now, but later in the season, uh, late summer going into fall, because you want to provide food sources for them spring to fall as long as you possibly can. So you want to plant for continuous blooms during that time period. So some later bloomers that they will also be attracted to include um, goldenrod and asters. Perfect. And a number of those two folks are perennial. So that's kind of a one-time deal, you know, put it in, plant it, and you'll not have to think about it. It'll, it'll reward you every year by coming back. Well, Brittany, tell us how to find out more about Pike locations or maybe just for some garden advice there online. Oh, yeah. You guys can, of course, come to our stores anytime you know that, but also on our website at pikenursery.com. We have lots of information. If you look under the advice section on our website, you'll find DIYs, you'll find garden projects, um, uh, how-to information. Um, There's even kids' activities on there and recipes. If you're not sure what to do with all the cucumbers you're pulling out of your vegetable garden right now, there's some recipes. So lots of great stuff on our website. And then, of course, you can find us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at Pike Nurseries. So Pike Nurseries, especially follow them on Instagram, too, guys, because sometimes the opportunity for contests to win different things, very fun. Just did a a gift away, a bird watcher, a dad kind of gift package for Father's Day uh, in these weeks past. So Brittany Harper, Marketing Director for Pike Nurseries, thank you so much for being with me this morning.
Thank you for having me on. We'll talk soon. All right, time to take a break. Almost wrapping things up here on 95.5 WSB. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. I didn't leave us a lot of time to do this. Green and growing. Green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Want to make sure I get this information to you in a timely fashion. Number one, it's not too early to start thinking about fall vegetable gardens that you're considering growing from seed. So start perusing those seed catalogs or talking to your nurseries for varieties that you are thinking about producing. Get ahead of the crowd. Number two, berry bushes. They're doing what they do, burying. Have netting on hand to protect them from eager birds. And number three, it's time to add more mulch, maybe, if some of it's washed away or you didn't put it on thick enough the first time, to choke out weeds or at least be picking them out from summer gardens. All the weeds do, they steal nutrients and water from your desired plants and the things you want around. I'm really thankful for you that you're here. Continue the conversation with me on Facebook. Just search Green and Growing WSB. I'm Ashley Frasca, and you're listening to WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.